Shalom, 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 and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And I want to say also Shabbat Shalom to all of you Shabbat keepers or Sabbath keepers. And if you're not, hopefully one day you will learn about the Shabbat and want to keep it according to Yah's word. We also want to start off by giving praise to our creator and his son, Yahuwah and Yahusha, his son. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we are the Science of the Covenant. Now, every Saturday, Shabbat at 1 p.m., we are on Eastern Standard Time Live. So if you want to tune into us live, make sure you tune in to our website at SciCove.com, S-C-I-C-O-V.com, every Shabbat at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any questions or comments while the podcast is going on or even after the podcast, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com and we will get to your comment and question, uh, rather it be live on air or t- we will get to it on the next podcast. So now I'm going to turn it over. So, Pastor, what are we dealing with today? Well, we're going to continue uh, from last week. And we are covering a time period of 1,260 days, and we will revisit that somewhat, but not totally. And we were looking at the time period from 538 A.D. to 1798 A.D. when the papacy of the Roman Catholic Church uh, was making some changes according to Daniel 7.25. So what we will be doing today basically is going back and revisiting Daniel 7.25, and we'll be talking about some changes that the papacy made during that period of time, and some of the changes had started even before that period, but during that period, uh, there were a number of changes to take place. And so I guess we'll entitle this discourse here today, Times and Laws, Times and Laws. So as we get into this particular uh, discourse, let us have a word of prayer. Our loving Father, you have been so gracious to bring us through another week and to be able to celebrate and give you praise again on this, another Holy Shabbat. We want to give you praise, glory, and honor, for you only are worthy. You the one, O Heavenly Father, that has created heaven and earth and all mankind. You sent your Son, and he was able to give us the redemption. So when we look at creation and salvation, we know that you are the author of both of them. And now, Father, as we get into our subject for the day, we ask that you would anoint your speaker, that he may speak to things that you would have. Be with my hosts. Be with each listener, O Heavenly Father, that they may be able to not only understand, but to put in practice things that you would have them to. That when Messiah come, we can meet him in peace. These blessings we ask in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay. As I said, we're going to talk about the times and the laws So if you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, let us turn to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, we want to look at verse 25. I want to get some more of the essence out of this text that we don't generally uh, go into. So let's see, can we see what else that has that can be of significance to us? And here in the 25th verse of the 7th chapter of Daniel, it says, And he spake great words against the Most High, and the Most High is Elohim, and shall wear out the saints of the 
most high and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. So here in this particular uh, verse, it brings out a number of factors that we want to uh, consider. We dealt with some last week and we were uh, look at some of the things last week, but then we'll go into a, a different uh, avenue in this particular passage. In our last discourse, we dealt with the seal of Yah's system, and we explored the seal system of Yah to point out that Satan, who wants to be like the Most High, imitates what he does. As Satan attempted to change Yah's weekly Sabbath, which is a feast day, we discovered also that he, Satan, is desirous of changing the annual feast system to the one he has orchestrated. So here we read in Daniel 7.25 how he spoke against the Most High, and in the latter part of this text, it points out the time of a, points out the time and times and the dividing of times, which we discussed last week. And a time is considered to be one year of three, 360 days. And in some biblical uh, prophecies, a day stands for a year. Therefore, if we have a year of 360 days, it would be equivalent to 360 years. So when we have the terminology of a time and times and a dividing of time, a time would be one year and times would be two years and the dividing of times would be a half a year. And if we add these three time factors together, we have 1,260 years. We attribute this period of time from 538 A.D. to 1798 A.D., it was this period of time that the reign of the papacy of the Roman Catholic Church. During the reign of the papacy, a number of changes took place with Yah's word. In these changes, Yah seals system to that of the mark of the beast system. So when we look at the seal system and compare with the mark system, we'll determine the fact that there are some imitations in the system, but some changes of days. So what we want to do at this juxtaposition is to see how the beast system aligns itself with the seals of Yah's system. So here in Daniel 7.25, It states that he, now, this he of which we discover to be the fourth beast, which is Rome, which was called pagan Rome up until it became papal Rome. It was called pagan Rome when it didn't profess a religion. However, once Rome embraced the Christian religion, it became papal Rome. Now, some of the things the papacy would seek to change according to this text is times and laws. So most of the time when we deal with this text, we 
And they take one thing, which is the Sabbath, which is still in with times and laws, but we may not deal with other times and laws that the papacy, which was ruling at that time, changed. So in Daniel 7, 25, we are told that, we are told from this text that he, the fourth beast, the Roman Catholic Church, under the papacy, would think to change times and laws. So let us at this let let us look at the words think and change. Let us look at these two words, think and change. Now, now this word uh, think comes from the Hebraic word sibar, S-E-B-A-R, sibar. And sibar has the meaning of hope or purpose. So when he said he would think to change times and laws, in other words, he would hope to change or he was purposed to change. In other words, he couldn't really change Elohim's laws, but he could he could attempt to change it because what Elohim establishes forever. The, pap- the papacy hoped to change times and laws or they purposed to change times and laws. Now, even though the papacy hoped to change Yah's times and laws, they weren't changed from Yah's standpoint. They were still there. Even though the papacy sought to do so, they could only influence those individuals who were under their jurisdiction to abide by their times and laws. So they couldn't change Elohim's, but they hoped to do it. They purposed to do it, but they could only influence people who are in their particular uh, under their particular influence to accept what they put out rather than what Elohim put out. So let us now concern ourselves with the word change. We know that Siba means a hope or a purpose of change, but when we look at the word change, what does that, that mean? It comes from the Hebraic word Shina, S-H-E-N-A. Shina, S-H-E-N-A. Now, Shina carries the meanings of to double or to alter, to double or to alter, okay? Now, we'll notice that in some of the commandments in the Ten Commandments that we said it was changed, uh, he altered some of the commandments, and some of them he doubled. Now, let us take, when he deals with the Sabbath day, which is the Fourth Commandment, what they did, they, they, they took out the commandment that says you, we should not worship idols because we know that that was uh, the, the, the third commandment. And, you know, really Roman Catholic Church and Lutheran churches, they have a lot of statues, so they had to get rid of that commandment. And what they put in the place of the third commandment was the fourth commandment. And all they say about the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's all they says. They don't go into the rest of it. And then since they were short of one commandment, they took the 10th the commandment that says thou shalt not covet and made two out of it. So when you take, uh, when, 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 when you, when you uh, take out the third commandment and put the fourth commandment in its place, that's what you call altering. And then when you take a, a, a commandment like the, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet and make it two commandments, you are doubling it. So the word shana means to double or to alter. So what the pro- so what papacy 
So what the papacy was seeking to do was to alter Yah's times and laws and was to double his times and laws. So what we also see in this text is that the papacy not only hoped and purposed to change one's to change one's time or law, but it seeks to change times and laws. The plural of times and laws lets us know that there would be a number of changes he would seek to alter or to double about Yah's times and laws. So let us explore some of the changes in Yah's times and laws the papacy hoped to propose to change. Let us start with the changes in times, and we will refer to this time change as the alteration of the seasons, the alteration of the seasons. Now, when Daniel 7.25 speaks about the changing of times, it is referring to seasons, okay? Now, this word times in this text, 7.25, comes from the word Adan, Adan, and it is spelled I-D-D-A-N, I-D-D-A-N, Adan, and it carries the meaning of an appointed time or season as it relates to a festival day. Now, generally, when we talk about a festival day, we are talking about what? We are talking about the word moed. But in Daniel 7.25, we are talking about the feast word adan. Now, we'll see the reason for this as we go along in the discourse. When using adan, it could embrace both an appointed time as it relates to a designated period for an event to take place or a feast day as it relates to Elohim's feast days. See, Elohim's, when he talk about his feast days, he mostly uses the word mording. But now notice Daniel is talking about uh, Adan, which also means feast days. So why would he use mording that Elohim used rather than Adan? Because Adan does not align itself with uh, the Moedims of Elohim. Now, one of the reasons I think that the author does this is by using Adan, because Adan, when it refers to times and appointed times, it deals with feast days. But remember that when the papacy was changing Elohim's feast days, you have to think also in terms, he was not only just changing Elohim's feast days, but he was changing feast days for other religions, you see. Just like they say the Muslims, their holy day is Friday, even though there's some question about that. And then they say Christians' uh, uh, feast days, uh, uh, they are, well, primarily, uh, their feast days are a, a Sunday, uh, that is for us the weekly Sabbath. And the Jewish feast day would be Saturday or the seventh day. So you got Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that they're using. So when the papacy comes in, it's not only hooked on changing the feast day 
for Elohim, but is also want to change it for the secular world and also for other religions to let them know that the feast day is Sunday. So if it's Sunday, then what we have is Adan, which takes in, it takes in Islam, it takes in Buddhism, it takes in Shintoism, it takes in uh, uh, Jainism, it takes in Christianity, and takes in everything because he want to deal with the entire world. So when we look at Adan, Adan could be changing the Moedims, or it can be change, changing the, uh, the days of the calendar, of the Mayan calendar, and everything else. He was not just focusing upon uh, Yahweh's days, but he was also focusing upon the world's days. So consequently, when he speaks about changing times, it has to do with exchanging Yah's calendar for the Gregorian calendar. And this calendar was introduced by Gregory the 13th in 1582. It was adopted by Great Britain and the American colonies in 1752. So here we have two calendars, one from Yah and the other by man. Let us make a comparison of these two calendars. We will refer to them respectively as the theological calendar and the anthropological calendars. When we talk about the theological calendar, we are talking about Elohim's or Yah's calendar. And when we talked about the anthropological uh, calendars, we're talking about man's calendar, calendar or the calendar that was embraced by the papacy from Gregory. And when Gregory made that calendar, they named it after him, the Gregorian calendar. So what we what we'll do with these two calendars is at is to list both the weekly and the annual festivals. We'll refer to the weekly festivals as the as the uh Habdo Habdo Habdomital, Habdomital, and when we talk about the Habdomital, it is spelled H-E-B-D-O-M-A-D-A-L, Habdomital, and Habdomital means seven, and we also talk about the Domin, Domin, Dominico, the Dominico uh, feast days, and that's talking about the first day of the week. And then we talk about the yearly festivals as the annual feast days. Moreover, among the annual festivals, we have them occurring at certain seasons of the year. And we refer to these feasts as the climatical feasts. They happen during a certain climate of the year or the certain season, like uh, spring, summer, and fall and winter. Okay, so let us start with the uh, theological and the anthropological calendars. So when we deal with the theological calendar and the anthropological calendar, we start with the weekly feast. Now they, they have, have the have now the uh, have the mito the the have the mito 
feast. We call that the seventh day Sabbath. The Hadomito is the seventh day Sabbath. And that's at the end of the week. And that's on the theological calendar. But on the anthropological calendar of the man or the papacy, they have the Dominical feast. And the Dominical feast occurs on the first day, which is Sunday. So Elohim says the seventh day Sabbath. They say, well, no, we have changed it to the Dominical, which is the first day of the week, which is Sunday. So one has a feast on Shabbat, which we call Saturday, and the other have the feast on Sunday, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. So we can see during the time of the papacy how they had changed it. But we know that one of the changes, especially from Shabbat to Sunday, was in 321 A.D. when Constantine changed the day of worship to Sunday which was the venerable, venerable day of the sun in which he said all but the farm workers must abstain from work on Sunday because he knew that the cattle and all of the livestock had to be watered and taken care of. He said, but everybody else has to worship Sunday. Okay, so that was back in 2321 A.D., but that was enforced by the papacy during 538 to 1798. Now, that was the weekly fe festivals, the abdominal and the dominical. Now, let's deal with the annual feast. And as we have stated in the annual feast, we have the climatical festivals, which happens during the spring, summer, fall, and the winter. So now, when we deal with the climatical feast, we want to look at the, how the feast that Elohim had given, how they correlate with the seasons of the year. And so the first set of feasts that we have in the climatical feast of the annual feast, we have the vernal feasts or the vernal festivals. Now, what are the vernal, the, the vernal festivals? Well, on the theological calendar, we have the vernal festivals as Passover, Unleavened bread and first fruits; those come in the spring of the year. Those are what we call the vernal festivals. Okay. Now, what are the what are the vernal festivals for the Roman Catholic Church that it has given to the world? Well, they have Good Friday and Easter. Okay. Now, when we deal with Passover, we're dealing with the death of Yeshua the Messiah, and when they deal with Good Friday, they're dealing with the death of uh, 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 of what they call Jesus Christ. And then when you have Easter, you're dealing with the resurrection. And then when you have first fruits, that is the first fruits from the dead, which is the resurrection. So when you look at Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, you have Good Friday, Easter, and the resurrection on the vernal feast of the papacy or the Roman Catholic Church. So in the spring, they have their feast, and Yah has his feast in the spring. And after the feast in the spring, you have the summary feast, and the summary feast or the summary festival of Yah is Pentecost. That's the feast he has. Now, I don't see any, any Roman Catholic feasts in the summer, but they do have some. 
And they also have what you call Pentecost, too. But I'm not sure if they celebrate Pentecost at the same time in the summer that Yah celebrates his Pentecost. But they do have a, a Feast of Pentecost. Okay? But we know that the summary festivals or summary feasts of Yah is Pentecost. And then, as we've studied last week, that he has seven annual feasts, and we find that in the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church, they have more than seven feasts. They have a, so many, they have a plethora of feasts, okay? So when we looked at the vernal feasts and the summary feasts, then we come to the autumnal, <clears throat> the autumnal festivals. Now, the autumnal festivals are the feasts which come in the fall of the year. Now, what are the feasts that come in the fall of the year? Well, we have, on the theological calendar, we have the Feast of Trumpets, which is the first day of the seventh month. And then we have the Feast of Atonement, which is on the tenth day of the seventh month. And then we have the Feast of Tabernacles, which comes on the fifteenth of the seventh month, which lasts for eight days. So those are autumnal feasts there. But we don't see really any uh, feasts for the Catholic Church at that time. Now, a lot of people say, well, during the autumn feast, we do have Thanksgiving. But remember, Thanksgiving is not uniquely Catholic. That didn't really come from the Catholics. You know, many of the pilgrims, uh, they say, may have an origin. But we really feel that the pilgrims, when they came over the country, they were not really keeping uh, Thanksgiving. They were keeping tabernacles. But some attribute you know, that Thanksgiving, but that didn't really come from the Catholic Church. Now, I'm pretty sure the Catholic do have some feast that comes in the fall of the year, but what I'm mentioning is some of the main ones that they are responsible for because they have a plethora of feasts that comes all during the year. But we do know that Elohim did not have any feasts that came in the winter of the year. So when we look at the wintry festivals, what do we have? Well, uh, we have in the month of Adar, which is the 12th month of the of, of the uh, of Elohim's calendar, we have Adar, and on the 13th, when they had the, the uh, feast that they had down in the Persian Empire, uh, when uh, Esther and Mordecai was down there, they they have the have, have that particular feast feast of of uh, of which uh, when Haman when Haman was seeking to kill all of Elohim's people and when he was seeking to do that then uh, he had he had uh, Esther to go back and she told them that they would pray three days and told uh, Mordecai to have the people to pray three days. And when they prayed three days, they didn't change the uh, decree of killing all the Jews, but they made another decree in order to be able to help the Jews to fight back. And when they prayed three days, Elohim gave them the victory that they could fight back, and they developed a feast, and they call that the Feast of Purim. Okay, now the Feast of Purim was not necessarily a feast that Elohim gave, it was a feast that they, the Jews, 
wanted to celebrate because they got the victory on that day, but it was not necessarily one that Elohim set up, okay? But then when we look at it, that would be about the only feast that I know that if Elohim did endorse, he would probably put during that time. And then another one sometimes they, they have, they call it the Feast of Hanukkah. And some people keep the Feast of Hanukkah. But we do not see the Feast of Hanukkah being a feast that Elohim established in the book of Leviticus along with the other seven feasts that he had. We don't see that. Are we saying it's wrong? No, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that he did not give it. It was mostly from the standpoint of man. But when we look at Catholicism, it not only have uh, a feast uh, in, in that particular day, but this particular feast that they have is called Christmas. And Christmas is called Christ's Mass. In other words, they are saying in the Mass, when they celebrate it, that Yeshua or Jesus, the Christ, is being crucified all over again. But we know he was only crucified once. Okay, but that's what they say. So their feast day is Christmas in the wintry. But we see that Elohim did not give any wintry feasts. He did not give any feasts in, in, the, in the winter. Matter of fact, that was a text in the New Testament says that once persecution came, that Elohim's people should pray that if they had to leave Jerusalem, that they should pray that they should not have to go in the wintertime, or on the Sabbath, okay? So why did he say that? Because if persecution came to them in the wintertime, it would be very difficult to travel in the wintertime. And this is why I believe also that he gave his feast in the spring, the summer, and the winter, because he knew that at some of the feasts, which was chalk feasts, that they could travel, that in traveling, some of the best times to travel would be in the spring, the summer, and the fall. But you wouldn't want to uh, be traveling in the winter because that could be difficult. So he said, pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath days. And since many of the Elohim's feasts are like Sabbath, then it'll be difficult to carry out and to travel on the feast days if they were in the wintertime. But what we have in the Roman Catholicism Catholicism, according to the papacy, they had the Feast of Christmas. And what's making it confusion is they say that Christ was crucified in the Mass, so they're dealing with his crucifixion. But then they also say on the day called Christmas that he was born. So they are celebrating his birth and his death on Christmas. But Bible never said, according to Christendom, what they say is that they celebrate the birth of Yeshua. Catholic Church is saying also that we celebrate the birth. But there's no way in scriptures that Elohim ever said celebrate his birth. Elohim says celebrate my death until I come. So the very opposite of what Elohim said is what they are doing. And they have convinced all of the churches in the Protestant world that Christmas should celebrate his birth, but Elohim said, celebrate my death. So that's a contradiction to the very things that he had given us to celebrate. So let us now concern ourselves uh, after looking at the times 
now that we have seen how the papacy changed Yah's calendar for what for that of the Gregorian calendar that was set up by Gregory the third the thirteenth, let us now concern ourselves with the laws of which the papacy changed. So in Daniel seven twenty five, not only speaks about the change of times, but also of laws, and we will refer to this change as the alteration of the statutes, the alteration of the statutes. Now, when Daniel seven twenty five speaks about the changing of the laws, it is referring to Yah's laws as well as to man laws. And this word laws in this text comes from the word date, D-A-T-H. Now, you remember when we talked about laws when it comes to Elohim, many times he uses the word Torah, but the word in this text is not talking about Torah. I mean, it could be, but what I'm saying, it is not talking about the Torah as we know it, okay? So when we deal with date, D-A-T-H, it carries the meaning of law or sentence, law or sentence. So what can we see thus far? What we can see thus far is that the word for law is not Torah. Torah law deals primarily with the first five books of the Holy Writ. What we must understand about this word death is that it can refer to both Elohim's laws or man's laws. Generally, when we interpret Daniel 7.25, we primarily focus upon the Decalogue and, the, and particularly the fourth commandment, which involves both time and law together. Subsequently, we want to view the changing of the laws in a broader sense. This word for law is death, which gives it a license to be either yours or man's laws or both. Death isn't limited to any set of laws, but rather it is all-encompassing of Yah's covenant laws and the laws of the land. The papacy not only attempted to change the Ten Commandments of Yah's laws or the Torah, but also the laws of the country in the legislative halls of the governments of the world. Okay. So when you use uh, the law called death, it's a change in both the religious laws as well as the political laws. Many of our laws which are enacted by Congress aren't just standing upon a political platform alone, but rather these laws are influenced by both the church and the state. They are political, religious in nature. As in the book of Revelation, the beast coming up out of the earth with two horns like a lamb and spoke as a dragon in Revelation 13, 11, these two horns on the lamb like beasts are the horns of authority and power. It would exert 
over the new and developing nation we call America. The horns two in the head of the beast would rule by the authority of both religious and political power. Moreover, what we must also perceive is that the beast not only tampers with the laws of a country, but also its statutes, as well as those uh, as well as those of a religious body. So when he tampered with the laws, he also tampered with the statutes. Now, are statutes important to laws? Let us let statutes speak for themselves. Just what is a statue? In the biblical understanding of a statue, it comes from the Hebraic word chag. And chag is spelled C-H-O-G, chag, C-H-O-G. And it means a decree limit or a portion. In other words, it gives us the boundaries. It gives us the portion of a particular law and how to deal with it. This word chag is what gives meaning to the law. Statues are the guardians of the law. Were not it for the statues, we wouldn't know how to carry out either Yah's law or the laws of the land. The statues let us know the accepted or decreed limit of which the law states. We would not know what the Ten Commandments mean unless we understood Yah's statutes. Why is it that when Yah had given his ten precepts, both orally and written to Moses, that Moses was constantly going back and forth for Yah to explain the laws to him? He, Moses, had to understand not just the law, but the statutes which explain the laws. Furthermore, when we read in Scripture, we find that Yah's festivals are also statues. Let's look at that. See, because the Bible says that the beast would think to change times and laws, and some of the laws that we have are the statues which Elohim had given to us, and so he's also seeking to change the statues which is one of the most important parts about a law, because a law without statutes uh, would not be understood. So he wanted to change not only the law, but even the meanings which comes from the statutes that he wants to change. Now, as I've stated, he wanted to change Elohim's statutes. Now, by changing the festival days, he was also changing the statutes. So let us look at Leviticus chapter 23. Let us look at Leviticus chapter 23. Now, when we look at Leviticus chapter 23, we want to look at verse 14. Because when we look at chapter 23 of Leviticus, it is talking about all of the seven or all of the eight feast days that Elohim gave. The first feast day he gave was the Shabbat, which is the weekly feast, and the other seven feasts were the annual feasts. And he, gives, he lists those in, ex, in, in Leviticus chapter 23. But we're going to read in Leviticus 23 where it speaks about the festivals being statues. Now, let us read Leviticus 
23 and verse 14. Here it says, bring forth him that hath cursed. He said, bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp. Let me see. I was reading the wrong text. Levit Leviticus, I was in 24. Leviticus 23, 14 says, And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your Elohim. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Okay, so that was talking about one of the feast days dealing with, you know, uh, Passover and uh, unleavened bread and first fruits. That's what it's dealing with. He said those are statues. Now let us turn to verse 21 in the same 23rd chapter of Leviticus. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you, Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. So this is talking about Pentecost. It's a statue. The papacy wanted to change the statue. Okay. The papacy sought to change that statue. All right, let us lose verse 31 now. In verse 31, it said, And ye shall do no manner of work it shall be a statue for ever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. What is this talking about? Talking about the seventh month in which they had the Day of Atonement. He said the Day of Atonement is a statue. It's to teach you something. Okay? It's to teach you something. Okay? It explains. Okay? All right, let's go to verse 41. In verse 41 of Leviticus 23, it says, And ye shall keep it a feast unto Yah seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generation. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. What is that talking about? It's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. So it's talking about all of these feasts. They, they, they were uh, what we might call uh, statues. They explained. What did they explain? The only verse that did not say it was a statue was the verse that was dealing with the weekly Sabbath. So if we really going to understand the weekly Sabbath, we have to understand the statues that underline the weekly Sabbath, which would be the annual feast. They explain the Sabbath more fully. They are a type of Sabbath, and they are statues to help us to really understand the Sabbath because we know that the Sabbath uh, tells us about creation, and then when they were delivered from Egypt, it tells us about his deliverance power. So when we study the statues, they tell us about his power, not only to create, but his power to save. Satan, through the papacy, sought to change Yah's statues to institute his own. It was Thomas Aquinas who changed the word statue to ceremonial. See, he changed the word statues that explain Elohim's laws to the ceremonial law. That's why it was changed, and the whole world did not look at ceremonial law from the standpoint that he changed it. They just adopted it and started running with it. 
So in doing so, almost the entire Christian church are running with a ceremonial law, which never existed in the Bible. There is no such thing as a ceremonial law. There are ceremonies in the Bible, but no such thing as a ceremonial law. That was created by the papacy. That was created by Thomas Aquinas. The ceremonial law is being used to say that it was a temporary law to lead us to the Messiah, Yeshua. And once he expired on the tree, then these statutes, which were called the ceremonial law, were done away with. Therefore, since the feast days of Yah are ceremonial, they too were done away with when Yeshua was crucified. Nothing could be further from the truth. He never had a ceremony law. The only thing that was done away with at the crucifixion of Yeshua was the sacrificial system. Everything else remained intact. If you read in the book of Acts, it is constantly talking about the festival days. If the festival days was done away with the, at the cross, then you would have to do away with Pentecost. You would have to do, do away with the, uh, the, the, day, uh, uh, the, the day of atonement. All of these are mentioned in the book of Acts. Just like the Sabbath is mentioned in the book of Acts after the crucifixion, so is Pentecost, so is the Day of Atonement, so is Passover mentioned after the cross. So if they were done away with, Yeshua, when he left, he would have told his disciples, don't worry about these feast days anymore. No, he didn't instruct them there. He, matter of fact, he instructed them to keep the feast days because of the fact he, he says that he would restore upon them, he would bestow upon them the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when did the Holy Spirit come? It came on the day of Pentecost. So if Pentecost was done away without the cross, he was not instructing his disciples right. He was instructing them that on the day of Pentecost that they would receive the outpouring of the latter reign of the Holy Spirit. So they were not done away without the cross. So what we want to look at and see that some of the laws and the times that the papacy changed, and when they changed them, they put in their own days. So we'll stop here, and next week we'll be looking into why he, the papacy, was setting up this system and what is behind it. See, the reason why they were destroying Elohim's days, they want to put their days in place. So next week we'll start with why are they setting up their system of worship and what is behind it? You were saying that the uh, that something about the pilgrims and Thanksgiving that they were actually keeping tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Yeah, right. Huh. That's that's interesting that they were actually celebrating tabernacle as opposed to uh, what we th what we you know a lot of people think you know whatever Thanksgiving mm -hmm. and all. Uh, um, so you were saying also Edan can mean mm -hmm. not, it not just the changing of Yah's days, mm -hmm. but the changing of whatever religion has come about, even their uh, days, whatever they have to mm -hmm. bring everybody under one roof. Yeah, right. 
and uh, we'll be getting more into that. Uh, what it is is that I think somebody or either you asked, had asked a question about the mark being in the hand, mm-hmm. and that has a lot to do with the mark being in the hand. See, a lot of times uh, other religions, they don't have a knowledge of the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. They have a different day of worship. So if the mark of the beast go forth and they don't receive the mark in their head, mm-hmm. Then by them abstaining from work on 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 a Sunday, they don't really have a knowledge of it. They'll be doing it. They'll they'll receive the mark in their hand rather than the head. Oh, okay. See, they they a lot of times people are doing things that they don't understand. Uh-huh. That's the mark in the hand. But if you understand it and go contrary to it, that's a mark in the head. Okay, so so you said. Mark in the head, when you understand what you're doing, then it's basically mm-hmm. wrong. You understand that, then yeah. that's the mark in the head. But when you're doing it, but you don't really understand why you're doing it, it's the mark in the hand. Mm-hmm. And you said you're going to be getting more into that. Yeah, I'll be getting more into the hand as we deal with with the mark of the beast in the head. And then we'll, we'll get to the hand, too. Okay. And it, now, um, I know you mentioned about the Feast of Purim. And the Feast of Dedication, which is uh, some people call what, Hanuk or Hanukkah. Yeah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah, yeah. And those were not sanctioned by the Most High. No, they were just simply uh, events that he intervened in, like down in the Persian Empire, he intervened. Mm-hmm. But he didn't establish that as his festival day. That was man, even though the event was dealt with by him. But he never set up a day for it mm-hmm. because his deliverance comes on Passover, and uh, that's what he did. And so when they prayed down in Esther Empire, one of the reasons why they was down in that empire because they had broken Elohim's commandments. So they went into Babylonian captivity, and and then when his people was taken down to Persia, the reason why they was taken down there because they was breaking the true, true Sabbath. So. Mm-hmm. When they wanted deliverance and he delivered them, he didn't set up a new day. That was something they set up, but he's the one that was behind it, helping them to get the deliverance that they needed. You know, I just wonder, too, why did Yah only have feasts in three times of the year, in the spring, summer, and fall, but none in the winter? And uh, it's just amazing. I wonder, did he know that the weather and the people may be challenging to keep or, you know? Yeah, well, you know, like Yeshua said, he said, you know, he had he had already prophesied that when they see the abomination of the desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place, he said, get out of that place. Mm-hmm. And, he, and then he says, he said, pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath days because, you know, it's difficult to travel in the winter. Yeah. You know, so he knows all things in from the beginning. So he knew when to set his festivals. Yeah. And it's amazing because here, uh, when you think about the pagan holidays, Christmas is dead in the winter. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of people trying to travel to see loved ones to celebrate Christmas with them. Mm-hmm. In a time that is very difficult, especially, you know, if they in areas where they get tons of snow mm-hmm. during the winter time and ice and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, making right. it even more difficult. Right. 
and all. Yeah, isn't that, that's 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 amazing phenomena because Elohim said, "Hey, here's my feast days, and they in nice weather. Yeah, and y'all won't obey me, but man, I give you something in dead winter that that yet can be uh, quite detrimental, and, and you slavishly follow that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's way man is. They they look at man more so than look at you know Yahuwah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we it seems like we do more what man and Satan wants us to do than we what we what Yah wants us to do, and mm-hmm. Yah put things um, in effect for us on purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. here when you work, you always looking. Most people looking for a job that they can only work Monday through Friday, five days a week with two days off. Mm-hmm. But if everybody would have adhe- would adhere to what he gave us in the first place, which was giving us Shabbat off to take it mm-hmm. off, relax, take vacation time, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't be so worn out in a week. Mm-hmm. That's you know? true. And it's interesting. You always hear people talk, I'm going on a sabbatical and whatnot. Well, Y'all built in a sabbatical every single week. Yeah, every week, right. You know, it's like, take it easy, relax. That's what mm-hmm. I put it here for. And we fight them on it. Mm-hmm. Even people who keep Sunday, they don't even keep it to the full extent because what they do, they go to church in the morning, come home and cook a dinner or go out to eat and all, and then do everything else under the sun. Some may even go to work. But Yah says on his day, look, I don't want you to do anything. Just relax. Take it easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But That's true. We fight them tooth and nail on it. Yeah. And and when you look at many of the uh, annual feast days, they, that, you know, people work on jobs. If they're going to take a, a vacation around that, that time when the Elohim has his days, then uh, they can get a double vacation, not only every week, but uh, during those seasons of the year. Yeah. You know, and you like to travel. A lot of people keeping Passover these days. You can travel to their Passover service and and be able to be refreshed. And then when you come back to work, you're so refreshed and renewed and recreated that you can do a greater work for, for whatever work you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think people really dig deep into thought when it comes to these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times, you know, they just think, you know, sometimes I feel people think it's a burden, but Mm -hmm. it's it's not. It's it's a relaxation built in from the beginning. That's true. Because even the Bible says that when you keep these fish days, one of the first things he says, come before me with rejoicing. He said, rejoice. These 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 feast days are to be days of rejoicing. Yeah. Up next is let's talk about that. So today, and let's talk about a segment. I kind of want to expand on what we talked about in the last uh, podcast, uh, where we was talking about Bible versions, and we did get a comment written in about Bible versions, and we'll, I'm going to, we'll deal with that at the end. So, if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me into Deuteronomy, the twelfth chapter, verse. 32 we're going to read deuteronomy the 12th chapter verse 32 and it reads what things soever i command you guard it 
Guard to do it. You shall not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So, Pastor, I want to ask you, um, are there Bibles out there that have been added to as well as they have taken some things out? Uh, well, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I thought I, I was cutting you off before you No, finished. no, no, I was done. Oh, yeah. Every Bible that you read is uh, something that's been added or taken out. Mm-hmm. Most of the, the Bibles that may not have uh, anything added or taken out mm-hmm. are Bibles that are written, written in the original language, such as Hebrew uh, or Greek or something, because whenever you make a translation, uh, all the time you're not using the same words that the biblical writer who wrote it had. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some some words that you use uh, in, in, in the Hebrew, you may not use those same words when you translate it. So what you have is a different thing. Now, case an example is... Uh, we take the word uh, God, or, or when we say Yah. Mm-hmm. So when they translated Yah, many times it's translated Lord. Okay. And this is why sometimes uh, people get uh, turned around on the name God because when you use God and you use when you say Yah, you translate that Lord, and when you have Elohim, you translate that God. So you're already changing something right there Okay. Uh, when you go from one language to another. Mm-hmm. But it's not an intentional change. It's just trying to put it in the language that you're in. But sometimes putting it in the language in which you you have, you got the German language, the English language, the Italian language. You, you got many languages. So when they change it to their language, uh, they may leave, <coughs> leave out something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in trying to exp- explain a word or a phrase, they may add more to the scriptures uh, than that which was, was there, yes. So any translation uh, of the Bible or version of the Bible may have some changes been added to or taken away, but you have to look at the intentionality of, of what the changes are mm-hmm. because a lot of time Bibles, when they have translation and they know that something is not sufficient to explain something, mm-hmm. they may add, but when they add it, they'll tell you that the, the italics writing shows you that it's added, but it's not added to deceive you. It's added to try to give you more understanding. Mm-hmm. So any, any, any translation, you, you know, when you take uh, the Geneva Bible, uh, when you take the Latin Vulgate Bible, and you go through all these Bibles, they have come from translations. Is something been added or taken away? So, okay. Uh, so do you believe that there have been uh, some maybe biblical text as well as books that was taken out purposely. Because when you look at the King James, I believe, 1611 Bible, mm-hmm. that it had in there uh, some books that are called to be apocryphal books in it, but then... Not too long after the 1611 Bible, these books disappeared. They were taken out. Yeah, well, to a large extent, some of them was done purposefully. And, but sometimes the councils, when they met, uh-huh. their intention was that when they read the Bible, that they felt that some of the books were not uh, according 
to what Yeshua had quoted from and what the disciples had quoted from. Uh So therefore, they would not use these books. Their intentions was good. And the good intentions was that it could weed out the false books, but then they did away with some of the good books. But not only did the King James do that, but the Douay, the Douay Bible that the Catholic Church, they used to use the Douay Bible, and that also had a lot of the, what we call the apocryphal books with them as well. Uh-huh. But later on, as they went on, I think they took away some of those books as well, like King James did, and boiled it down to just, you know, the Bible without those books. So... Some of the intentions was good, but they could also be detrimental. And some of the intentions was to really distort Elohim's word. And that's where the problem came in. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's one of the things I think I, I feel is that some of those things were taken out to distort his word. Because I know when I started reading the Bible with mom, I always felt that it was something missing in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I started to search, and that's how I stumbled upon the Sefer Bible. Now, I want everybody to know I'm not trying to plug it. It's just a Bible I enjoy reading. And I do feel it may be one that's even better than that out here. I haven't ran across yet. But I still feel that even the Sefer is not fully complete. I still believe it's other writings and everything out there that are hidden on purpose from us. And all. Um, So I want to ask this too. So, is there possibly bad versions of the Bible? Well, uh, it all depends on on, on who's making the assessment. You know, Uh I might look at a Bible like the NIV and say, you know, that's the worst Bible you can read. But mm-hmm. I'm making an assessment. Somebody else can read the NIV and say, you know, that really gave me a good understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but just like one of the things in the uh, NIV, uh, they they may go different from the King, the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, they they may. I know when I was reading it, it they were saying that in the King James Bible it said that Yeshua has seventy. Uh, disciples that he sent out. 70. 70. Uh-huh. 70 disciples that he sent out. Uh-huh. But then when you read it in the NIV, it says he sent out 72. Now, can you argue with the 72 or the 70? You know, no, I can't argue. It's just that how did the NIV arrive at one figure and King James arrive at another figure? You know, I have to look at things thing like that. Uh-huh. But uh, what I try to say to myself, you know, uh, that there are some things in the NIV that they give a better explanation than the King James, and King James might give a better explanation than this. So when you say something is bad, uh-huh. uh, some things may be good, but they got bad things in them, and some things may be bad, but they got good things in them. So who is who is doing the assessment? You know, and when you assess it, just like people give critiques on different uh, movies and uh, theater performances. Uh-huh. You may look at it and say it was a good performance. They may say, oh, that was the worst performance I've ever seen. Uh-huh. But it, it all depends on, on the individual. And then you got scholars may give their uh, understanding. And you can sometimes, if you ain't got time to read these versions, 
you can see what the scholars say, and sometimes people go with the scholars because uh-huh. they trust in the scholars. And if scholars say it's good, they say it's good. Scholars say it's bad, it's bad. Uh-huh. So the thing is, when you say good or bad, that has to come from the person who is doing the evaluating. Okay. So, well, just like how you were speaking about the NIV, uh, we had a comment that come in, and it they stated that if all versions of the Bible translated Hebrews 4.9, like the NIV Bible, there would be no question about the Shabbat. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Other versions of the Bible just say rest. So I agree with the pastor about looking at other versions of the Bible. I do have the same question as Brother Boyce, though. How do we know the real truth? Well, it's not a way you can know the real truth because if you look at the word rest uh-huh. and trace it down, it, uh, that's what the Shabbat means, a rest. Uh-huh. So what they have just taken, a, that's like I said, when you translate it by when you take the word rest and and, uh, and maybe Hebrew, uh, it's spelled one way. And then uh, in another version, uh, they may have Shabbat because... After all, the word Shabbat is throughout the Bible. They it was not only translated, but it was tra- uh, what they call transliterated. Mm-hmm. When you talk about transliteration, you're talking about taking letter for letter in in, in a word in one language, and you transfer the letter to letter in another language. Mm-hmm. But some words they are translated. They give you the word, but it's an altogether different word in English, okay? Uh-huh. But in transliteration, you're using letter for letter. Okay. So when Hebrews chose to use rest rather than Shabbat, maybe the Bible writer was trying to show not only what they were uh, 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 dealing with a Sabbath, uh-huh. but he was trying to show the background in which Elohim was trying to lead his people to a, to a resting, not only a resting day, but a resting place. Okay. Okay. So that might be some 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 of it, but whether the translator was doing it to actually deceive you, or was he doing it to try to clarify uh, a point that rest would have been more accommodatable, more accommodatable than the word Shabbat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, it's easy from our own personal uh, view to say that. It could have been made more plainer by putting the Shabbat there. Uh-huh. Well, to us, since we we are Shabbat keepers, to us that might be more clear. But I don't know the mind frame of the person reading uh, about the, uh, in the uh, in the uh, in the in the fourth chapter of uh, Hebrews in the ninth verse when it says rest. I'm not sure what mindset the person is in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because, because it, it you know maybe to a person a Sabbath keeper like I said it, it it would be clear, but let's take if we if we go to the, uh, I think the twelfth chapter of the book of Acts, okay now, King James version says it was Passover, now they they say it was Easter, mm-hmm. now we know Easter did not exist in the time, uh, in which. Uh, the 12th chapter of Acts was written, mm-hmm. but they have Easter. So you look at that and say, well, if they could have put Passover, whoever read that, 
they would have they would have seen Passover rather than Easter. So some of the same flaws that we find with the NIV, we can also find with the King James Bible. This is why I'm saying they may have some good things and some bad things. But as we become more uh, familiar with the uh, particular versions, then we are able to weed out the error from the truth. Yeah, because, you know, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, just like in the King James, it does just say rest. But in the Sefer, it's it says uh, the reference of uh, Hebrews 4, 9, the re- there remains, therefore, a Shabbat for the people of Elohim. Mm-hmm. And this just goes back to what you said about uh, Shabbat is basically a rest mm-hmm. and all and everything. But I guess uh, I can see for people who know about Shabbat understanding, but if for a person that may be new and read rest, they may can misconstrue that as being okay. Rest could be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, any day of the week that, uh, that uh, I can rest mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, well, saying Shabbat, that's a, a specific day uh, mm-hmm. of rest. Yeah, that's a good point. But see, I think we are taking the position of the person who doesn't know the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Now, I've run into people like this. I've run into people who have taken a course on the Sabbath. They have they have taken lessons on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And they have, they have spelt the word out for them. And then when you talk to the people who have, who have taken a course on the Sabbath, you say, how did you enjoy the lesson? They say, oh, we are really enjoyed about the Sabbath. And then you ask them, you say, well, what day is the Sabbath? I say, well, Sunday. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, you can say a person can look at the word Shabbat rather than rest, but they, if they don't have a knowledge of the Sabbath, they can still think that that Sabbath is Sunday. True. So, so we, that's what I think I was saying last week is, what we may have in our mind may be different from what the person who is reading the version have in their mind. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, if they are, we have to understand what is the question that if they asked us what version to read, mm-hmm. that's the question we would have to consider. But they, their intentions may, may not at that time be dealing with the Sabbath or the state of the dead or anything. They, they may just want to read the Bible. So if, mm-hmm. if that's their general premise, then they can just pick up a gen, uh, 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 almost any Bible and begin to read. But if they're looking for something specific once they get into the Bible, mm-hmm. then this is the time to be able to guide them to certain things. Now, if we are giving studies, Bible studies to them, mm-hmm. then quite naturally we would bring that out because that would be one of the studies. But where are they at the particular time they're asking you about the version? Where are they? Okay. See, I can't explain everything to them at one time. True. So I got a... Uh... One last question before we get ready to wrap it up. Um, when you had tent meetings, um, did you give away a specific version of the Bible when you mm-hmm. gave away Bibles? Mm-hmm. And which version was that? I probably might have gave a King James. And what was your reasoning behind giving just the King James? Well, my primary reason was that most of Christendom, even today, even when they, you know, some people go on, they 
and they get the Bible on the phone. Mm -hmm. The most common Bible is King James, you know. Okay. And I felt that uh, by giving the King James, at least I was giving something that I felt was familiar with the mainstream of people, even though, they, you know, you got people that deviate from the rule. Yeah. They may have, <laughs> they may have, uh, you know, gotten other type of Bibles, but uh -huh. I felt that that was the most common Bible to be uh, dealt with. And if we can start there, that would be a starting point. That was my reason. Okay. Yeah, well, honestly, I think the majority of people, like you said, uh, King James is kind of, I, I would say, close to the standard. Because mm -hmm. most Bibles that I think people get put in their hands first is the King James. And then... I think a lot of times if a person is challenged with the wording of the King James, someone will introduce them to maybe an NIV, a message Bible, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. different Bibles of that nature. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I think on a whole, King James is kind of what been the standard for many years. Mm -hmm. And even now on, 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 on what we, we're doing, uh, I, I still use King James. And back in the days when I used to, preach in the churches and have evangelistic meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, I preached out of the King James too. You know, that's mm -hmm. what I preached out of. Mm -hmm. And if I wanted something different to emphasize a point, I might bring another translation to show them that in comparison, you know, we can validate this truth because other Bibles are saying the same thing. Mm. True. True. And, you know, even when I read the Sefer, um, to me, it kind of reads close to the King James, with the exception of it replaces the gods and the Jesuses with the Hebrew uh, names for them, and it replaces mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, names. Uh, he it, re, it puts back in the Hebrew names of people mm -hmm. as opposed to what you know the King James Bible names have them for. No, definitely, not, yeah. Yeah, they take all them D's and thou's and all that stuff out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I guess it boils down to the best Bible version is the one that reaches you, that touches yeah, but, you. Yeah, basically, you know, it's like me. I, I like to <clears throat> every now and then go back to the original Hebrew Bible and, mm -hmm. and also the original Greek Bible. But I'm getting to a point that I'm going to try to even go back further. But, you know. Uh, I try to get a good concordance that no matter what word I have, I can look it up in a good concordance. And you have strong concordance, which primarily deals with uh, the the meaning of the words. I mean, they deal with the word, but they may not necessarily give you all the meanings. Mm -hmm. But if you deal with Young's concordance, Young concordance gives you uh, a lot of the words in the Greek and the Hebrew, and it gives you the meaning of it. So... I found a good concordance is, is, is able to help me a whole lot. So I don't just depend upon the version of the Bible, mm -hmm. but also the tools in which I use to interpret the Bible. Okay. So it's important too also to have good tools in conjunction mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the scriptures to do proper research. Right. And you just say, like, uh -huh. mm -hmm. just like you said many times, you know, with the proper tools, you can rightly divide the word. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're not rightly dividing it because you, you don't really understand the words and the stuff. And so you're putting out stuff that you're rightly not dividing. But with these proper tools, you can rightly divide the word. Mm -hmm. And so you said you prefer Young's and 
uh, Young's, yeah. and the other one is well, what, Strong. Uh, strong. Strong's may not go much into depth, but Strong is still still good for what it's worth, you know. So I wonder why, why you know, because uh, I see like a lot of these websites they use Strong's, mm-hmm. yeah, and I don't really see Young's used that much. Well, see, see, a lot of people may not have studied Hebrew and Greek, so uh-huh. they would find Strong more appropriate than uh, Young, because Young is dealing with Hebrew and Greek. Okay. Well, I mean, Strong's, uh, when I go through the website, the Blue Letter Bible, mm-hmm. Strong's have reference to the Greek as well as Hebrew. It uh, does, but not in not in the uh, same way that Young does, is what I'm okay. saying. Yeah, they deal with the Hebrew and the Greek, because, see, basically, oh, Testament, what we call, was in Hebrew, and the New Testament was in, in Greek. Mm-hmm. They'll give you the Greek and the Greek word, but what I'm saying, I don't, I don't see too much of a definition in there. Okay. And they, they may even tell you how, how many times the word is used. Uh-huh. But, when, yeah. but then I think when you get to the uh, Young's concordance, in the back of the concordance, it may tell you how many times a certain word is used, but it doesn't, but, but when you look it up in, in, in the, in the concordance itself it may not tell you but in the back of the book after the concordance it may tell you how, how many times a certain word is used and not only does it tell you how many times the word is used but it gives you the vari- variations of the word as well in Young's that I do not see in Strong Okay. alright I think that was a really good insightful uh, thoughts on Bible versions so you get whatever y'all inspires on your heart. That's the version for you. But I think as we grow and as we study more, we try to get versions that take us a little bit more deeper. You, know, mm-hmm. you may start out with a King James or NIV and you may find something else that takes you a little bit deeper. And I think that's what it's all about going deeper and learning more to change your life, to do what's right as you read and study more and more. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what it's all about. See, the school that we have here is a beginning mm-hmm. or the starting point of the school that we will graduate to. So you know, we try to get as much as we can on this side of eternity. And then once we graduate into the eternal school, then we'll study forever, but we'll be studying deeper and deeper. And when we think we have mastered all, Elohim will bring more knowledge and understanding our way, and we'll continue to study that. And we'll never get tired of studying because the plan of salvation is one that is uh, to be studied for eternity. This mm-hmm. is why uh, once we are redeemed, and if we never die in this world and translate into the world to come, we'll live forever. And if we died believing, when we come up out of the grave on the resurrection, we'll uh, have eternal life. It takes our eternal life to understand the eternal plan that Elohim has given to us. Mm-hmm. Because when the book of the Revelation, when it talks about the everlasting gospel, it's talking about an eternal gospel. And if it's eternal, that means that it's forever. And so when we enter the, to the school of heaven, we're going to be eternal students that we're going to learn forever. Because it takes forever to learn about what Elohim has done. Now, we must think in terms of the fact that whatever Elohim does, since he is eternal, whatever he makes or does is eternal. Mm-hmm. So when we look at his word... And when he speaks, is he eternal? So when we enter into the eternal school, then we'll be studying eternally. And whatever we study in nature is going to be eternal. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that's going to be eternal is when we study about the plan uh, of redemption. 
it's going to be an eternal plan. And that eternal plan is going to tell us eternally about the love of Elohim. It takes an eternity to understand his love. We are introduced to this love in this planet, but in the world to come, we'll continue to expand on the study of the love of Elohim. Mm -hmm. And when we can see the love of Elohim, we're going to see it pervades the entire universe. It'll pervade the heavens and the earth, the angels, and the saved of mankind. All will embrace the love of Elohim, and we'll study it throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. What started at the cross mm -hmm. is an eternal study. So we do the best we can in this world, and then when we get in the world to come, we'll continue that study. And we're looking forward to that study. We're looking forward to that school. And the only way we can graduate from the school is to accept what he gave us here. And then when we accept his blood on the cross, it helps us to have the diploma to graduate from this school to the heavenly school. Awesome. Awesome. And with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out? Hello, and Father, again, we thank it a privilege to be able to share the word with others and to be able to engage in a dialogue of your word. And as we've studied, O oh, Heavenly Father, about the changing of the times and the laws, that we may go according to the theological calendar, that which you have given us, that we can keep your sacred weekly feastable festivals as well as your annual festivals to be in harmony with your calendar. For we see that the war of the feast days is a war of two calendars, your calendar and man's calendar. And as we look at your feast days and the papacy feast days, as we look at the things that you have given and the things that man has given, help us to put yours over his that we may be in harmony with your wishes. Now, Father, as we close the service, we ask that as we continue to minister and to do the things on your Shabbat that you have designed that we should do, that the power of the Holy Spirit may give us a blessing. Bless those, O Heavenly Father, who has lost loved ones. Bless those who are sick and shut in. Bless those, O Heavenly Father, who know not your truth, and bless those, O Heavenly Father, who know your truth, that as we continue to spread your truth among those, O Heavenly Father, who sit in darkness, that they may also see the light. Aid us with the power of your Holy Spirit, O Heavenly Father, to be able to perform the things that you would have us to do. And now, Father, as we sign off with this service, we ask that as we continue to go through the Shabbat, that you would give us a holy blessing and give us a holy life to match the holy blessing that you would give, that when we go into a new week, oh, Heavenly Father, we will be so refreshed that we can better do the task that you have given us. Bless my host, bless me, and bless each listener. Bless those who did not listen to this podcast or this day, that when they do listen to it, that their souls may also be watered with the word and to be able to have a insight into the plan that you have given us. And then when we understand your covenant and what your covenant should be, that we may be in line with it, that when Yeshua does come, that we will find ourselves a part of the new covenant and a part of the new world that is yet to come. Now, bless, keep God, direct us as we move forward. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Know therefore that Yahuwah Elohoika, he is Elohim, the faithful El, which guards his covenant and mercy with them that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom. <laughs>